This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a rainy, cloudy Monday afternoon in God's Own Knoxville, Tennessee. It is the third Monday in October, so you know we are just a few days away from the third Saturday in October, and it will be a big third Saturday in October. Maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing third Saturday in October. Nonetheless, a big game. Tennessee and Alabama with a lot on the line will play Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS, which of course is the best network that has ever existed, period. We got a lot to talk about. We got a full week to talk about Bama. We're going to talk about Bama. Obviously, we're going to talk about Bama, but we got to put a little bow on Texas A&M because I think there's a lot of similarities in those games. Plus, on Mondays, we normally kind of scrub out what happened over the weekend anyway. So we got a lot to discuss to do that. We're going to go to that undisclosed location and get to Patrick Brown. Go to that that home daycare center and get to Ryan Callahan. Fellas, how are we doing today? A little, little grumpy because it's you know 50 degrees or something, and that's it's a little too early in the year for that for me. But I guess in some ways it kind of feels like it's like it's October. It's 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 Tennessee Alabama week. Not usually this cold, but you know it feels like fall. So I guess there's that. But I, I'm not ready for this. You guys are soft. I think it's great weather. Yeah, I, I'm. I, am, I, I, I put in, on a hoodie and deal with it. I, I'm in. Team, I'm soft. I'm in team. Anything below sixty sucks. Anything below fifty is uncomfortable, and anything below forty is not fit for human habitation. That is my sort of stance on the weather. This is as far north as I believe I will ever care to live. And, and of course, speaking of that, uh, in two weeks, Tennessee will be, uh, that'll be a night game in Lexington, which I looked at the extended forecast already. It says a low of like 50 degrees. I'll believe that when pigs fly, that is not going to be a cold front will come through. Something will happen. It will be cold, but let's not even talk about Kentucky yet. Uh, the, the, the recent, uh, losers against Missouri. Let's talk about Tennessee, Texas A&M. Let's talk about Tennessee, Alabama. We'll go to A&M first. We've had a couple of days now to sort of marinate, I guess you you, you would say, uh, about that game. And, and there were a lot of things. I think our post-game podcast hit on the important details. I don't think many, uh, if any, opinions have changed since then. Maybe a couple of grades have come out, some, some more perspective from rest is always good, uh, some reflection on a Sunday. But I think there were a lot of good things in that game, and we talked about them. I think there were a lot of bad things in that game, and we talked about them. If anything, one thing I don't think we discussed enough in the postgame pod, and, and Pat was not there. It was me, and it was Ryan, and it was Ben, and Ben's at baseball today. But I don't know that we talked enough 
in, uh, in, during that game Saturday about Tennessee's receivers really not helping the passing game right now. We talked about the Ramel Keaton drop, obviously. We talked about some of his struggles this season. We talked about it being the first game without Brew McCoy. I don't know that we discussed enough just how infrequently some of these receivers are getting open. And I don't think Joe Milton's playing well, guys. I I don't think he played well last week at all. But I, I still think when you watch with an analytical eye, with an objective eye, it's hard to look at that and say, that's just all on Milton. He did not play well. It was a bad game for him. We know that. But I still think there's a lot there that they could be doing to help him and they're not doing. Yeah, yeah. no, I was I was not yeah. on – sorry, Ryan. I was not on the post-game podcast, so I have no idea what any of you guys said. Um, I assume that you talked about how awesome James Pierce is. Yes. How well Tyler Barron and Bryson Eason and several others are playing on the defensive line. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you guys talked about the secondary has stepped up. Kamal Haddon's having a good season. Yep. Uh, and hopefully you guys talked about how – Awesome again. Jalen Wright was. He was outstanding in that game. And that D. Williams, um, that D. Williams guy too. He came up. Well, yeah, he's 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 pretty good. And he had a great post game moment when uh, somebody asked him about lobbying to get snaps on offense, and he was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. it'll happen soon." Basically, and then Jalen Wright right. came out and said, "Oh, that's why he's working on offense now." So that's that's out of the bag. But anyways, um, yeah, Wes, I, I think this passing game. Um, yeah, I think Tennessee's still bottom of the SEC and explosive plays, which is just stunning to see after what they did last season. But uh, it, it's it's been – it's not just the quarterback as much as a lot of people want to throw a blanket on it and finish Joe Milton and pull a scholarship and all that. I don't think anybody is saying that he's not – saying that he's playing well right now, and, and certainly his play does not give you a lot of confidence going into Tuscaloosa. But um, – there are other parts of this offense, and this has been a season-long thing, theme. Uh, there are other parts of this offense that are not contributing to success in the passing game. And uh, I think early on in the season, the offensive line was was an issue. You know, there were times where Milton was pressured or or didn't you know could step into a throw, and uh, you know that that was a an issue. But I think since they've got Cooper Mays back and got Gerald Mincy out at right tackle, and of course. They had to play Danny Davis for most of the second half at right tackle as well, and and he, you didn't see him give up any sacks. So shout out to Dane for playing well. Um, it's because it's because Trey Smith dapped him up before the game. That's probably why. Well, they, I mean, hopefully, if hopefully Trey gave him some of the, some of his powers, uh, but um, it, it seems like the offensive line I think has been really good the past two games, both in the run and the pass game. I think you know they gave him a couple of sacks, but AM's really good. They're going to get a couple of sacks, um, and, you know, a couple of holdings, but. The offensive line, I think, has been an issue in terms of the passing game the last two games. I do think that you know the receivers have uh, they, they left some plays out there. This has been an underwhelming season for them so far, and uh, certainly I think going into the season, I thought they would be okay replacing Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, those guys, um, and and they haven't been. It's, I think it's been you know they, just, they, they left too many plays out there, and there were some plays out there that. Could have been made. There were some pass interference penalties that maybe could have been called, but you know, eventually, at some point, you've got to, you got to, you know, you got to make contested catches in this league. And uh, now they're without Brew, and so literally, you're taking three guys that you know, Jalen Hyatt's on NFL roster. He was a third round draft pick. Cedric Tillman's on NFL roster. He was a third round draft pick. Brew McCoy's probably going to play in the NFL someday, assuming he gets back from this horrific injury. But and now you're playing two second year guys and Ramel Keaton, who has something of the yips. 
right yeah. now. I mean, that's the only way to explain what's going on with Keaton. So that's that's a drop off, but certainly the quarterback play needs to be better. I don't think anybody's arguing against that. I don't think anybody's saying that Joe Milton's playing great football right now. He's not. He needs to play better. But uh, I think there are some things on the outside that that those guys need to make a play for him uh, a little bit more than they are right now. Yeah, and Wes, we did discuss the receivers on the post-game podcast. I think we maybe talked about Joe Milton a little bit more uh, to because you know a lot of people wanted us to have that discussion, and and, and I think it it needed to be to be had. Uh, yes, because he didn't play well. That's that's the worst I've seen him look since he's been at yeah. Tennessee, probably. And that and that was on the heels of what to that point had been his worst performance of the season in the South Carolina game, where he threw two interceptions. So you know those games back to back, Tennessee's offense only scoring one touchdown uh, in that game. It, it obviously raises a lot of questions. Uh, and, and so that's a, that's a natural, uh, discussion point for sure. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I mentioned Saturday and still, still feel this way. It's, uh, it, it's, I, the drop off from Brew McCoy to, to what's left in, in the wake of that injury, uh, was, was, you know, looked at least in, in the first game, even, even steeper than I thought it, it was going to be. Um, they, they looked like they were not a very dynamic group out there. Um, that's, now, I don't know if that's exactly how they were trying to use the receivers in this in this game. You know, just didn't look like they're they're getting. And I felt this way with Brew McCoy. I I don't think this group of receivers has gotten a, just a ton of separation on a consistent basis. They're they're open receivers clearly, um, and they've they've missed some opportunities to make some some better plays this year. Um, but it's not a it's not a group where you've got guys running wide open in the secondary all the time, and they're just not not connecting. I just I, I think in a lot of plays, you know, teams are able to. To, to to play man coverage and 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 not not get burned as much um and so it, it's it's easy to just kind of dare joe milton to to beat you and and know that these receivers are not as likely to 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 really make you pay um down the field at this point you know they they had a nice streak going of at least one completion of 41 yards or more in the first five games and then saturday their longest pass was 17 yards uh it's that if that remains uh, an issue for this for this team, that 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 offense becomes a lot easier to defend. Now, on the flip side, they've got a run game that's that's just on cruise control right now. Uh, how it's legitimately ball. good at this point. I think you have yeah. to say it's legitimately yes outstanding at this point. What what they did to Texas A and M is pretty remarkable. I mean, they they rushed for two hundred thirty two yards against a team that uh, that they you know Miami beat Texas A and M and rushed for like 74 yards or something like that. And, and Alabama didn't run it well on, on Texas A&M. So for Tennessee to go out and do that, uh, especially when, you know, you know, going into the game that the run game had, had kind of been the strength of Tennessee's offense. And you see early in the game that Tennessee's not throwing it very well. And, and, and there were still, you know, at a you know, blitz to good amount, obviously. And, and, uh, and, you know, still like they didn't dial up any answers really. Tennessee ran it pretty consistently well throughout the game. So I, I think we have to look at it at this point. Like this is a this is a team that needs to run the ball first, and I kind of felt that way for for a couple of weeks now. But I think I think it's now pretty evident the fact that you can do that against you know one of if not the best defensive fronts in the SEC um, to to be able to do that against a team like Texas A and M is is pretty remarkable. So I you know that's the that's the flip side of this is that you still got something on offense you can kind of hang your hat on and. And maybe that opens up some things for the passing game at some point because that running game is going to continue to command more and more attention, um, and that that could that could give Tennessee some some options in the passing game that that haven't been there to to this point. But they they've got to figure out something because clearly the personnel is not not near the the level it was last year, and and I think they might have to be a little more creative 
and just, you know, sort of scheming up some things and also just a little more uh, intentional about who exactly is getting the ball on a, on a particular play. You know, I think they they might need to force feed the ball to the tight ends, to the running backs in the passing game. I, I wonder about throwing it to, uh, to, to Dylan Sampson and Jalen Wright out of the backfield a lot more, you know, just anything to get those guys, you know, to, to get somebody in space with the ball that can make a play because it feels like this team's going to have to be a little more creative and uh, a little more, uh, you know, maybe choreographed, I guess, in terms of, of, of getting some guys open and not just letting things flow the way they normally would, say, last year. Yeah, I think that that FTS mindset, feed the studs, is a, is a pretty important one. You have to be intentional about those things. I think it, what, what's unfortunate for Tennessee, there's a few things that are. First off, they, you try to build an offense, and football is a game where guys get hurt, but you try to build an offense with certain things in mind, and Tennessee has just not been able to get everyone healthy at the same time, and that's really – it, it's not an, it's it's sort of an excuse, but it's also an explanation for sort of where why things are where they are. I think another thing that's been a that's been a blow for Tennessee is that if you think about it, for three years in a row, Tennessee had gotten a pretty darn good receiver out of the portal and had gotten production from that player. You know, you go from Velas Jones to Javante Payton uh, to Brew McCoy. And so I think, uh, I mean, I don't think any of us assumed this, but it's it's human nature a little bit to suspect that when you get a Dante Thornton Jr. and his ability and everybody raves about it all the time, you're thinking, well, he's the next one on the assembly line. He's going to come in and do what those other guys have done. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. He's been a little dinged up. He's had a little dinged up in camp. He was a little, he had a hamstring injury that kept him out of the South Carolina game. You don't want to judge halfway through the season because, you know, it's his first year there and he's been hurt a couple times already. So we'll see if they can get something out of him. But they they they, they need to get something out of somebody. Chaz Nimrod took a nice step forward Saturday, early on especially. Uh, he had a couple of really nice catches on third down to kind of keep the drive going. I think most people would have guessed that Caleb Webb was going to get that starting nod, but it went to Chaz Nimrod, and I think he did pretty well. Um, I don't know that he's ever going to be a star, but he looked like a pretty solid player in that game. And they, they just, if they're not going to be as dynamic as they're, as it looks like they're not going to be in the past game, they got to find something else because it's hard to win. 20 to 13 every week. It just is. There are some teams that do it, right? I mean, you know, there's your Iowa's and Wisconsin's. They've had seasons where it seems like they've won every game 20 to 13 or 20 to 17 or, or, or whatever. So you can do it. Um, but it's hard, I think, in, in this era of football and the SEC to do that. It just, it's just hard. And I think that there's, it shouldn't have been a 20 point game on Saturday. You got the special teams touchdown, but you also left 12 to 24 points out there uh, with, with your with your bad red zone offense. They just they got to capitalize when they're there because this defense is good. This defense is very good. James Pierce is an animal. Tennessee's defensive front, one of the best in the country. The the defense as a whole looks pretty solid right now. But you're going to need to get more at some point. You just you're going to have to get more from the offense. Yeah, and you know, I, I went back and, and was able to. There's a guy on YouTube. Shout out, uh, let me get his name. Tone eighty eight sixty one. I don't know if you're a listener to the podcast, but he uh, will will generally basically cut up Joe Milton's plays or Jalen Wright's or whoever's um, photo up on YouTube. It's very it's very convenient for someone like me who's you know in a time crunch sometimes and and just needs to watch the quarterbacks however many plays in a seven to eight minute span, but. You know, I, I went back and watched, and I kind of, I was kind of chart good plays and bad plays for Milton, and 
Um, I think there are five plays that, that I look, that I went back and watched and thought, you know, that's an example of, yeah, maybe Milton could be a little bit better, but his, you know, he, he's got to have somebody make a play for him. Um, obviously, the the Ramel Keaton drop, everyone knows that one. No need to harp on that one anymore. Um, the two shots to to Nimrod, and and I don't want to pick on Nimrod because, like I think Ryan said, he, I thought he was kind of a bright spot. I thought he he made some plays. He actually was probably the only guy that made some plays, but. Uh, they took two deep shots on him uh, for, to, to him. One was in the end zone in the first half. The other was, I think, in the second quarter uh, down in front of the student section. Um, and both those plays probably could have been called pass interference, but I don't know if any referee at any level of football knows what the hell pass interference is at this no, point. No, no one watch knows. the Giants-Bills game no one knows. Uh, on Sunday Night Football. You're wondering what the heck's going on, but – um, you know, the, the defender gets there a little bit early on the one of the end zone and, and his arm is grabbed on the one that was, yeah, it was a little bit underthrown. And I was kind of cracking up at Gary Danielson being like, well, Milton should throw it 10 more yards. He's already throwing it like 55 yards. And yeah. so I know, you know, I know Milton is on record saying he can throw it 90 something, but, uh, that's probably, you know, when you have Texas Sanders defensive line coming after you, it's probably a little bit harder to, uh, to throw it 90 yards than when you're in a in a backwards hat and a t-shirt at the Manning passing Academy. But anyways, I, I, those are plays where, yeah, you, you got to make contested catches sometimes. And I just think, you know, if those are targets are for Cedric Tillman or Brew McCoy, those guys probably have a better chance of making that play. And that's not taking anything away from Nimrod. Um, and then the other two plays, uh, one was on a scramble drill. I think this was in the second half where, where Milton got flushed. They had a spy on him. So he's got a guy breathing down his neck. He's, kind of direct the traffic and and you know we've seen them all do this the scramble drill at practice where they you know the receivers have a you know this is what you do when the quarterback breaks the pocket and extends the play so squirrel white cuts up the sideline gets behind his defender mild puts the ball on him but squirrel kind of just loses his balance and falls down i think the ball still hit him in the hands i think pro football focus might have given him a drop for that play um you know that, that's a play where if he doesn't fall down he may he may catch that and he's yeah. on the run he might get a huge play out of that one yep um, and then the other one was uh, the, the second and goal late in the fourth quarter. Uh, it, we can debate whether that should have been called a pass play should have been called at all. We should, you know, we can debate whether Milton should just take the ball down and, and preserve a timeout or make, you know, run clock, whatever. Um, at the top of that route, Ramel Keaton gets good separation. He, he kind of shoves off a little bit. Um, but then as he's running his route toward the sideline, he kind of drifts from about the three to the goal line. And so that separation gets shrunk down. Um, and when that play happened live, I thought Milton was late on the throw. And as I went back and watched the replay and watched it a couple times, it, I don't think it was that late, but the way that Keaton, and I don't know if he's supposed to drift towards the end zone or if he's supposed to just go straight to the sideline, if it's a true out route, whatever it is, but it's just a little thing like that, that, you know, when you're throwing into SEC, you know, windows against SEC DBs, little things like that make a big difference. You know, if you, if you've got two or three yards or a step of separation, and then you kind of drift and, and, you know, that, that shrinks the cushion and the DB was able to recover, and make a play. So um, th- those are plays where the receivers ha- I think can, could be a little bit better. And, and uh, again, sometimes you're going to have to make tough catches in this league uh, and they, they lost a guy that can do that and, and brew. But uh, for Milton, I, I think the biggest things, and you know, I wrote this, I think a week ago um, and I got to, I got to make sure I find it, but, um, I, I think the three things that I said he needed to do better were have better downfield accuracy, no turnovers, and and be more effective with his legs. He kind of hit one of you know just one of those three things in this game because um, he did run the ball well. I thought he he made some plays just getting away from pressure and mm-hmm. he did um, mm-hmm. and, and avoiding a sack. I think there was one early in the game where he's got about two guys on him and he he got the ball out and that was co- sort of a Anthony Richardson s play where 
you're able to get the ball out because you're six four, six five, two forty, and and strong. But um, but the downfield accuracy, there were a couple of throws down the field where he just didn't give his guys a chance. I think when you're throwing the ball 45 yards downfield, that's that's the baseline for accuracy, right? Yeah, give him a chance. Because I mean, it's because I mean, Wes, I think you refer to those throws generally as they're low percentage throws. I mean, you're throwing the ball yeah. 50 yards downfield. It's uh, there's there's a lot of room for error there. They're not but, layups. They're not layups. Right. And, and to the point, I mean, there's there's layups that he's missing too. You know, his first attempt was like a five yard out to score white. I mean, he's open. Though it, you know, it's not a it's not a hard throw, but he threw it high. And if you make an easy throw there, squirrel probably catches the ball, gets upfield. It's probably a first down at least, maybe even more if he breaks tackle. So he's got to hit that one and he's got to hit the slant to Keaton that he threw behind him. Keaton maybe will, would say that he needs to catch that, but ball's also thrown behind him. You you gotta that's an easy throw. You gotta make that throw. Um, and you know, those, those throws are hard right now. And then he can't turn the ball over, right? I mean, he can't just throw the ball to safety into the field for the second straight week. So uh, again, it's, there's a lot of things wrong when, when something is going as poorly as since he's passing game is this season. Um, it's usually not just one thing, right? I mean, I think we've all been around football long enough to know that Correct. when things go awry, it's not, you know, there's not just like one thing and you just, Oh, if you just fix that, that'll, it'll work. And um, there's there's multiple things that that need to be fixed, and, and it was that way earlier in the season, and it looks like they've sort of shorted up the offensive line concerns, and, and now they've got to get uh, maybe the other two thirds of the passing game equation uh, going in the right direction. Yeah, and and this this still feels like the Texas A and M game might be a low point in the season for for the passing game. I don't think we can now just assume that this offense is going to be what we saw Saturday. That that's still. I think we'll end up being a bit of an outlier for this for this passing game. But the better question is, you know, are we gonna is this offense going forward gonna be 150 passing yards a game, you know, give or take, or is it gonna be more like what we saw before, 225 a game? If it's closer to that 150, it it, it changes what what your game plan sort of is and 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 what you're you're hoping to do going into a game and, and just what your realistic hopes are for uh, for for putting up points and. Uh, you know how how consistently you can you can put together a drive. Uh, it, it's just going to make things harder. But you know, again, it, it was just sort of a weird game because because Texas A&M was so good up front. I think you know, and we may see a, a somewhat similar game Saturday uh, against Alabama because it's it's another case of two really good defenses, and and Alabama's got a vulnerable offensive line where Tennessee's pass rush is probably going to have some success, just like they did uh, this past week. Uh, now the difference is Jalen Milrow can. Uh, can make you pay with his legs, but it, it it's set up to be, you know, maybe another low scoring type of game. But I think most of the season, the rest of the way, Tennessee's probably gonna gonna be a little bit better throwing the ball than they were Saturday. But yeah, it just might not be a very explosive offense. Uh, I I just keep going back to the, you know, forty nine run at, <laughs> rush attempts, twenty two passes, and that's maybe a little bit skewed because that that includes sacks, that includes the plays where Joe Milton tucked and ran, things like that. So maybe it's closer to forty five twenty seven or something like that in terms of how they how they called it going into the game or 44, 27, I guess it would be, but whatever the case, it's a, it's still a more run heavy offensive approach. Is that what we see going forward or, or does, do they look to, to, to strive for a more balanced uh, attack this coming week? I, I don't know what to expect there going forward now. Um, you know, I think you still need to try to be balanced, but I think it's totally fair to question now, whether this team just, just needs to lean into what it's doing well, which is clearly running the ball. And, and, and to your to your point, uh, Patrick, that that's that now could include Joe Milton. I think what we saw Saturday um, at times when he's not running out of bounds a yard short of the first down marker on a free play, um, he was more aggressive. He he sought contact once or twice. He 
he looked like a different runner from what we've seen a lot of times. If he can do that more, he can he can help this team play to its strengths. But yeah, I wonder how much Tennessee will be willing to lean into that. We've, we've seen when Josh Heupel offenses are really clicking, they do run the ball a little bit more than they throw despite the perception uh, of this being kind of a wide-open passing offense. But is it going to be really 60-40 or 65-35 in favor of the run? I'm a little skeptical of that, but I could see it now based on what we saw Saturday. It's it's possible that's just what this team needs to do to, to, to sort of play to its strength and give itself the best chance of success. I think the reason I don't, why I don't think it will consistently be quite that lopsided is I think at some point defenses are going to stop playing Tennessee as if it's Tennessee last season with what they do defensively. I still think a lot of people go into these games, a lot of these coaches, and they, they're, they're, they're in fear a little bit of that downfield, those vertical shots. They're playing a little bit back. There at some point, it's hard to like really load the box when you spread the field 53 yards wide on every single snap. It's hard to do that. But teams at some point are going to somebody's gonna just stack the box a little bit, go go man free or 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 one deep and and just go, you know what? If Milton beats us, Milton beats us, but we are not letting you sit there and run the ball for 200 yards in this game. At some point, somebody's going to do that. I think there's a chance Nick Saban does that. I think there's a chance Nick Saban changes the defense a little bit going into this game. And we know he's not the defensive coordinator there, but we also know that he is the defensive coordinator there. So I I think at some point people are going to stop assuming or thinking that they're playing last season's Tennessee or the Tennessee before that, that they're playing this Tennessee team, and they're going to say, I'm not scared of these receivers I'm a little bit scared of the deep shot because I know Milton can throw it really, really far, um, but I, I just can't have them beat me with a death by a thousand cuts. I can't have them – I can't give them six yards a run. I can't do that. And so people are going to change the way they play them, and I think that might necessitate a change. That might make Tennessee's offense uncomfortable. Um, but the thing that we haven't discussed, guys, is, is that all these things about Tennessee's offense – we're going to talk about this. I'm, I'm assuming the rest of the week it's been crappy on the road. So that's got to change. Um, and you put that together, you couple that with the last performance, the first one without Brew McCoy not being very good. Well, now you're doing that and you're going on the road where you've been a tire fire at times for the past couple of years, uh, not at LSU, but in a lot of other games. So that's got to change. Yeah, it's got to change. I mean, Tennessee is uh, – you look at their last, what, three games that were in truly hostile environments where it was Florida earlier this year, and I know that Tennessee has a long history of going down to Gainesville and, and falling all over itself and face-planting. Um, but they haven't won at Alabama since 2003 either, um, and uh, it's easy to chalk that one up to Alabama's bid, you know, the best program in college football for – most of, of that time. Now they, they, you know, the 2005 game was, that was a good, those are good teams, but, mm-hmm. um, and then after that Saban took over and he's, he's a pretty good coach. Um, I don't know that Alabama is the dominant force in college football right now. No, it ain't. Um, but the, Georgia they, is. they're still, they're still Alabama, but, um, you know, you go back to Georgia last season, that was, that was sort of a different circumstances because Tennessee was just, you know, they were just ranked number one and that obviously Georgia didn't sit, that didn't sit well with Georgia and their fans brought it and, as you'd expect them to, and, and that stage looked too big, but uh, for Tennessee as a program at that point. Uh, and then they went to South Carolina, and you know the, I think the stage and the pressure got got to them there too, and, and they let South Carolina get off, you know, get off to a fast start, and the crowd was in it, and, and we all saw what happened. So 
Um, they've got to be able to to communicate and they've got to be able to have more composure. Uh, and that's really team wide because even the defense went down there and, you know, this defense been, has been really good all season, but the first half at Florida, they were really bad. So um, the entire team needs to have, you know, better poise, better composure. Uh, they need to be able to handle things. If, if things go wrong, you know, it's snowball down in Gainesville as it, as it typically does, but it can snowball a lot of places. It, it, you know, Tennessee got off to a 3-0 lead against Georgia, and then Georgia put 21 straight, I think. Uh, and then obviously the Avalanche in Columbia last season. So they have to be able to better handle the noise and handle the, the situations when things don't go wrong in the, in the crowds in the game. You have to have players that, that go out there and can make a big play, whether that's on defense, whether that's forcing a turnover. Uh, that's what you need to go out there and win on the road, and, and we'll have to see if Tennessee is – Developed that over the past several weeks since uh, since they went down to Gainesville and, and played really poorly. You, you know what helps uh, a team settle in and, and play better in a tough environment like that? Having a good defense and running the ball. Yeah. If Tennessee does what it did Saturday, I think they're going to fare a lot better on the road because uh, if if you can, I mean, first of all, the Georgia game didn't didn't get the run game going. Georgia dominated up front. Florida game, I thought they kind of got away from the run game a little too much in the first half. Didn't have enough of a flow offensively. Yeah, didn't, I don't, didn't I don't, I don't know if plays. they panicked. I don't know if they panicked with the play yeah. calling, but they 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 got it, it was, they panicked a little bit. It's hard to run when you're in first and twenty and first and fifteen. Yeah, yeah, penalties and second and thirteen back. and all that. And that's the big thing they do have to avoid in this game is is to keep themselves from getting behind the sticks because you're you're not going to go into first and twenty hoping to run your way out of that very often. So. Um, yeah, if, if they can keep that part under control, I think the fact that they do have a run game that they can maybe lean on in, uh, a little bit more offensively, uh, and, and that Joe Milton doesn't have to to go into this game, you know, hoping to throw for 300 yards to to win in in theory, um, and that Tennessee's got a run a, a defense and a and a run defense and a pass rush, and they're in a better spot now defensively, I think, than they were going into that Florida game. They've got those young linebackers up to speed a little bit more. Uh, Elijah Herring in particular is playing at a at a much more consistent. He looked level. really good against A M, by the way. He looked yeah, really I, good. Seems like he's really settling in now, and that's that's a big deal for this defense. You know, they they were able to eliminate the big runs that I mentioned uh, last week that they'd given up in the in the first two SEC games. Uh, the long touchdown runs that didn't happen against Texas A and M. So I, I think their longest run of the game was was something like 19 yards. So uh, they they kept that under control. If they keep that up. Uh, and, and, a, and a new a new challenge added this week with Jalen Milrow. That's going to challenge them for sure uh, to to be very disciplined in, in how they how they defend him. But uh, but that the linebacker play is a big deal. If they continue to to stop the run, continue to rush the passer as well as they are right now, uh, that that gives them a chance to hang around. And you know, it feels kind of right. I know this 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 seems weird uh, to to Tennessee fans that now have gotten used to Josh Heupel and. And his way of, of playing games where 20 to 13 is very atypical. And we saw that obviously on multiple fronts Saturday, including his approach to, to not kicking field goals in a game where that probably should have uh, should have been the decision. But it, I think everyone's going to go into this game thinking that's how this one's going to go. I think even Tennessee is probably expecting this to be a lower scoring game and it's probably going to change the, the approach on both sides. But it feels kind of right. This is growing up. This is what we saw a lot. Two top 20 teams in this series. Low scoring games, you know. I, I, I remember the the game with the long J Graham touchdown run. That was like a twenty to thirteen game. Yep. Uh, there was the nine to six game this, back before I was old enough to the remember six three game in two thousand five. Right, yeah, exactly. So, so it just kind of feels right that this is shaping or Corey up to be maybe, Anderson. 
Oh man, no kidding. That's such, that's where a lot a of people nice dude. I hated that for him. Where a lot of people learned for the first time that you uh, that a fumble through the end zone is a touchback. Um, but that is, uh, it, it, it seems kind of right that this might be sort of a defensive slugfest and a and a and a closely uh, contested game that way. But it, it it's going to have to be that kind of game. But if Tennessee can continue to lean on their run game and and that defense and especially that pass rush that's been so so good with James Pierce and uh, and, and Tyler Barron and, and Bryson Easton and all those guys. Uh, if they keep playing like that, that's going to travel much better than what the product that we saw on the field a month ago at Florida. I think this team's at least better equipped to go on the road and handle that kind of environment this time around with with the way they're playing now compared to earlier this season. Not all the news is is rough news or concerning news right now. There There is some good news. There is some reason for some optimism going into this matchup and beyond. There's a lot of I think interesting things that maybe make this game a little bit different. And we're going to discuss those things uh, right after we come back from this commercial break because we are slightly overdue for that. So we're going to go pay some bills, listen to products, services, in house ads, et cetera. And then we'll be right back here on the Go Vols 24 7 podcast. Hashtag ad. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a rainy, overcast Monday in God's own Knoxville, Tennessee, joined by Patrick Brown, joined by Ryan Callahan. We are discussing, uh, we, we, we put a bow on Tennessee's win over Texas A&M. We have started to shift the focus toward third Saturday in October week against Alabama. Big, big, big game this Saturday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. We're going to discuss a lot about that and why some things uh, about this game and beyond are maybe not as bad as you think right now. Maybe they are as bad as you think, but 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 maybe they're not. And so we'll discuss some of the reasons uh, why some things might be all right. So we're going to do that after a quick, quick request from our end to please go in there, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening on the website at GoVols247.com, that's great. There's no wrong way to consume this podcast. It does, however, help us out quite a bit more if you go in there and uh, rate, review, subscribe, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod, you can find this GoVols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free. We're happy to do it. No complaints. But since we're doing it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to go in there and take a minute out of your day and rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends, tell everybody that you see wearing orange. Tell them. Just tell them about it. Tell them about this podcast. Tell them about Tell them about it, JoJo. Tell them about it, please. If you're already doing that stuff, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, guys. Some some good news uh, for Tennessee, or at least some, some potentially good news for Tennessee, came from Knoxville and beyond on Monday. Quickly away from Knoxville, uh, unfortunately for Georgia, Brock Bowers, uh, maybe the best offensive player in college football, um, he and Caleb Williams are probably right up there um, is the two best players maybe offensively in college football. Not Caleb Williams so much over the weekend, but that happens. 
Uh, Don't he, forget Michael Penix, former Tennessee oh yeah, commitment. Okay, you're right. Michael Penix might be on a different level right now. That's absolutely correct. Uh, forget. I, I don't. I'm, I'm a guy who doesn't usually forget the the left coast, so I apologize for that. But I do think um, that that is big news for Tennessee because he, I think, is going to have that tightrope ankle surgery, uh, f- which means that best case scenario, he's back in four to six weeks. But even then, he won't be a hundred percent. That is big. Jo- big Josh news. Heupel would say that he's he he will have to see if he's ready on Friday before the Florida game. Yeah, that's true. We'll just have to see if just have to see if he's available. Not quite sure yet. Um, you know, just wait and see. But yeah, he if he plays against Tennessee, he will not be a hundred percent. That is um, certainly not the kind of news that you want to call that good news. Um, but that's potentially advantageous for Tennessee and others in this league because Georgia also plays Ole Miss during that stretch. So we'll see how much that changes things for the dogs. Uh, Tennessee did get uh, what we think is good health news on Monday. We never really know with Josh Heupel, but he did say that uh, he believed Omar Norman Lott, Dave and Hobbs. And Gerald Mincy all should be available for this game. He anticipates them being ready for this game. We'll see. We'll ask him again on Thursday, and he'll tell us the exact same thing, and then we'll see if they play on Saturday. But that is the news there. And then I think potentially the most, you know, the best reason for optimism for Tennessee. First off, last season beating Alabama, every game from last season does not necessarily mean a thing about this season or beyond. I think beating Alabama and ending that streak took a little bit of the shine away from Bama uh, in Tennessee's eyes. I think that that they went toe-to-toe. They beat them. They beat those uniforms. The orange uniforms beat the crimson uniforms, and I think that's good. And the other thing, most importantly, guys, I'll kick it over to you all with this. Alabama's just not what it normally is. Alabama is, you know, Arkansas nearly went into Brian Denny last week and beat those guys. They, they, you, you know, USF in in Tampa was was giving those guys hell for a long time. They are like most of the league right now. They're just they're they're also they've got their own issues. They do, and uh, you know, I, I was at the Knoxville Quarterback Club on Monday, and not as much of a Tennessee centric report from there because uh, there was not a Tennessee uh, on field coach uh, there. That they had the, uh, uh, I believe his title is director of high school operations. Uh, uh, or, or high school relations, I should say, uh, Scott Altizer there, and uh, and and he 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 spoke a few minutes also about the game, but they they kind of cleared the floor uh, quickly to allow Urban Meyer to talk. He was uh, the uh, the featured speaker this week, and he was asked about how to attack Alabama given Tennessee's offense, and he admitted, you know, I haven't really watched Tennessee that closely, but his point about Alabama was anybody can beat Alabama is kind of how he said it, and anybody can lose to Alabama this Alabama team. He said, that, you know, essentially what, what you're saying, Wes, this is not the Alabama team you're used to seeing. Uh, they've, they've got some real flaws. And, and you certainly saw that Saturday. You know, they looked like they were on their way to taking control against Arkansas, and then they kind of let Arkansas back in the game. Um, they're, they just don't look like the kind of team that's going to deliver the knockout punch very often so that you're going to maybe have a chance to hang around in this game, uh, even if you aren't completely sharp for four quarters. And, you know, the same on the same – Along the same lines, they've got some weaknesses. You know, they they just have uh, they, they're just sort of a flawed team, a very good team still, and capable of beating anyone on any given day, of course. But just very very human compared to what we've seen. So I, I thought it was interesting to hear Urban Meyer even talk about them in those terms. You know, essentially saying not not just Tennessee, not not just a top twenty team, but you know, on the right day, anybody could beat this Alabama team. And that so they're I think that that puts in perspective. They they are very human. They are very beatable and. You know, tougher on the road, tougher to do it at Bryant Denny Stadium, but 
it's still a, a team that you you can certainly look at the matchup on paper on film and see some some weaknesses to exploit going against this Alabama team. Yeah, I just I, I look at the line of scrimmage, right? I mean, if we're going to say that this game has a chance to be like the Texas A&M game, you got to look at at the line of scrimmage, and, and Alabama is just hemorrhaging sacks right now. Um, but they're also not running the, the ball really well either. But you know, starting with the sacks, you would think with a a pretty good athlete like Jalen Milrow back there uh, that that Alabama wouldn't have a ton of sacks. But they've allowed thirty one and seven games this season. I think that's like five straight games with at least four sacks each. Uh, I think one guy for Arkansas, Lana Jackson, had three and a half on his own, just beating the left tackle. I think they they haven't really settled on that position uh, down there for Alabama. So uh, obviously they're having issues on the offensive line because they're not really running the ball that well either. They're um, looking at the numbers right now. They're, they're eighth in the SEC in rushing, um, averaging 3.8 yards per carry. Now sacks go into that, yes, but um, this is a team that really only rushed for, you know, they only rushed for 23 yards on Texas A&M and Texas held them to a little bit more than 100. Um, you know, they, they, they've... They've had better numbers, uh, but those yards per carry numbers haven't been great. They were able to hit a couple of, of chunk runs uh, against Arkansas in the first half, but I think they only scored three points in the second half of that game. So um, this is uh, this is a team that's gettable, um, and there's some, there are some similarities between Tennessee and Alabama in that they have sort of erratic quarterback play. I mean, Jalen Milrow has been better than Joe Milton, and, and he's you know hit some downfield passes, uh, you know, for some big plays. I think that's uh, but I think that might be the only thing that Alabama's done semi-consistently well is, is hit the big play down the field. So, um, you know, Tennessee's defensive line has to go into this game feeling good about its chances of, of taking control and, and being a, a dominant presence like it has been the last two games. And if you're, you're Tennessee's offense, you know you're going to get another tough challenge. You know, Alabama was, you know, I, they took a bit of a step back on defense last season. I think we can uh, agree with that. I mean, they let Jalen Hyatt run all over him for five touchdowns, but – um, Alabama's back to playing pretty good defense now, and uh, they did a good job against Ole Miss, who has an explosive offense. Did do a great job against Texas early in the season, but um, you know, and then they've they've played really well the last couple of games too. So uh, it could be another low scoring game, but um, certainly I don't I don't think you're going. You know, this isn't like some of Pat and Tennessee's past trips down there where they've been four touchdown underdogs, and you're like, there's just you just don't see any way that it's not a blowout. I mean, it it could be a blowout if things avalanche against the Vols, and and they again, play like crap on the road, but you know, they should go in there thinking and, and expecting to win. And that's what they did going into that game last season. And they were able to pull it out at the end. So, um, you know, th- this is a, a, a game for Tennessee. And I, it, it's the first time they've been an underdog this season. I don't, I don't know how much players pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, but certainly I, I think from Tennessee's standpoint, you're, I mean, you got a free shot down there because probably not many people are going to expect you to win. So, uh, does that add anything? Does that make you play looser? We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. A, a couple I was going to say a couple quick numbers on that just to sort of back that up. Five of the last six games, Alabama hasn't scored more than 26 points. Um, so that just tells you this isn't last year's team that could put up a ton of points with, with Bryce Young. Uh, and on the flip side, you mentioned you know they're, they're definitely playing good defense. Patrick, top 20 in the nation in, in scoring defense and total defense and, uh, and very good in rushing defense too. And they, they haven't allowed a team to run for more than 171 yards on them this year. That was South Florida. Actually, no SEC team has rushed for more than – 154 yards against them. That was Mississippi State. So they're they're very good against the run. That that to me is going to be the you know key matchup to this game. Can Tennessee can run the ball against an Alabama defense that a knows it wants to do that and that b has been very good against the run this year. Yeah, I just there have been several times that I've watched Alabama this season, and I've just sort of been waiting on all right, 
when do we start to see the Bama Boa again, right? I call it the Bama Boa where they just kind of suffocate you and, you know, at some point during the second half, they just kind of start to run away from you and there's nothing you can really do about it because they have more dudes than you and they're just going to keep running them off the assembly line and eventually you're going to kind of peter out. You know, it just kind of seems like that's what's happened so many times. We've just all gotten used to watching that in, in recent years more often than not. And it's just not happening this year. Like, they're just not consistent enough on offense to do that they're going to hit some big plays right i mean their their passing game is basically they're a shot team that's what they are now they're a shot offense they're they're going to run the ball they're going to try to set some stuff up and they're going to take some shots and hope to hit those shots they're they're not consistently passing the ball well i don't know there's probably a million reasons for that we'll talk to our friends at bama 24 7 later in the week and we'll get some more insight on stuff like that but just watching them them from afar they they just don't they just don't separate themselves from you. Like they don't, they don't put you away. That that kind of sometimes we call it killer instinct, but sometimes it's just you having more dudes than the other team, right? Like it's not necessarily a mindset thing as much as it is if you have more depth than anybody you're playing, you're eventually going to out wrestle them, and they're not going to fight back. But regardless, we sort of fall back on the cliche of calling it killer instinct. And I don't know that this Alabama team kind of has that. You know, there there have been some other SEC teams that have recruited very well, not to the level that that Bama and Georgia have. Uh, if we're being honest, A uh, and M's been close; they've been sort of right almost there. But you know, I you just keep waiting for Alabama to kind of have a switch flipped, and it's not happening. I'm not one of these people who says like the shine is off that program, the luster's gone. I think they're kind of still a bully until you prove otherwise. But they're not like the biggest, baddest dude on the block right now. Uh, they, they might go there. Tennessee might go there and lose by 30 points. I have no idea. But they are not right now the biggest, baddest dude on the block. They're just kind of a good team. I, I'm not even sure they're the one of the top two teams in the SEC West. Might not be. We'll see about the end of well, the year. Wait, we'll hold see. Hold on, hold on. SEC, I should say. I forget the yeah. West is. Yeah, they're obviously, I wouldn't, you know, no one would, I don't think anybody would pick them to beat Georgia and, you know, shoot, if they've got an outscore of Jaden Daniels, uh, you know, good luck. I know LSU's defense is a mess, but yeah, which a, LSU it's, team a hot shows mess. Up. it's a hot mess LSU is defensively. I mean, but a lot of times it comes down to who's got the better quarterback, and we, we know when LSU and Alabama play who that's going to be. So, yeah. um, you know, it's it's almost like when you lose Heisman Trophy winning caliber players, and, and in Alabama's case with Bryce Young, a Heisman Trophy winner, <laughs> the guys behind Guys coming up after him aren't that good. Yeah, it's when, when you concept, maybe we should maybe we should pay attention to. Yeah, when your first quarterback starter, when your first quarterback starter in like six years is not an NFL like first round pick or, or NFL starter, like okay, it's a little different, right? Right. I mean, it's, it, I mean, Jalen Milrow and Joe Milton can probably have a conversation about their similar situations in life because yeah. I mean, Milrow's not been bad, but he's also not been you know Jalen Hurts to a Mac Jones. Although Mac Jones isn't having a great time in the NFL at the moment, Correct. Uh, or or Bryce Young, who's also not having a great time in the NFL at the moment, but you know the NFL's hard. Um, and you know for Joe Milton, he's following in and Hooker, who's been Tennessee's best quarterback since. I mean, Bryce is just Josh Dobbs, but um, you know it was obviously a, a, playing at a, an elite, elite I, level. I, I would say season. best since Peyton Manning. That's what I would say. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying that that's wrong or right. That's. Uh, but the fact that it's not unfair would is is in and of itself a a statement. But um, you know both both these quarterbacks to me are, are 
guys that can throw the ball down the field and, and make big plays. They can also run around and, and do some things, but they also might make plays that are going to drive their coaches and their fans crazy. Cause um, you know, Milrow is, if you can get him to be a pocket passer, it's been a little spotty. Um, and if he doesn't have the, the deep shot, it's, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I haven't looked up his intermediate numbers and all that, but um, it, it seems kind of boomer bust. And as crazy as you look at some of their numbers, some of their, you know, what some of their pass catchers are averaging per catch and, and some of the rating, you know, pass ratings and things like that. And, and they're pretty good, but then you're like, there's, as Ryan said, they're not scoring a whole lot. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's issues with, with both offenses and there's fewer issues with both defenses in this game. So, uh, shoot it, it might go from a 52 49 kind of game to a 24 21 kind of game. That's, that's just kind of how it, how it is in college football. Things change. Could, could be lower scoring than that. We'll, we'll see. I don't know what to expect really in this game. What's, but, the, yeah. what's the total gamble, Han? I think it's around what you said. I think it's in the 40s, like 46 or something like that um, with the, with the what, nine and a half point openings, opening line. So, uh, yeah, well, I guess that's projecting something in the, something in the vicinity of a uh, 20, you know, 28, 18 kind of game, something like that. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if it plays out that way. But, you know, Alabama, you know, kind of adding to what, what, we talked about they're tied for 58th in scoring offense averaging still they are averaging 30.1 points per game kind of propped up by a couple of higher scoring games uh, outside of conference play and then 87th in the country in total offense they're averaging 367.9 yards per game tennessee's way ahead of 33rd i think right now in total offense so that that shows you how far back uh they've gone offensively without bryce young obviously And, and that's Hey, we knew it would be a big loss. Obviously, they've changed quarterbacks uh, already this season and, and gone back to Milrow and you know tried some different things. But it's still just a team that doesn't look like it's it's going to put up a ton of points uh, on, on a weekly basis. So Alabama fans are frustrated. The, the dynamic of this one is weird to me. You know, we we kind of thought going down to Florida, like, hey, the, Tennessee just needs to 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 get off to a good start. Florida fans are looking for a reason to bail on them. Obviously, that didn't happen. But um, you know, this one. Alabama fans, it seems like, are going to be out for blood, you would think, after losing to Tennessee for the first time in recent memory. And then, at the same time, they've got this team that's frustrating them to no end, that you know, people are wanting to, wanting to, to start digging a hole for the, for the Bama dynasty and, uh, and, and start burying them. But they, they still only have one loss. They're still hanging in there, not, out of the, not even out of the playoff race at this point. But they, they just aren't aren't clicking. Uh, it's just, it doesn't look pretty even when they win. So uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see sort of what the, what the environment's like. I think it'll still be really good. I think Alabama fans are going to be really, really motivated for this one, uh, especially with, you know, again, still their season on the line if they want to compete for a championship. Uh, but it, it is a team that obviously has frustrated Alabama fans and is not what they're accustomed to seeing in, in recent years under Nick Saban. So uh, it, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a really weird matchup, and uh, not what I expected to see. But I, I'll I'll kind of be surprised if the winner of this game scores more than like twenty four points. It just seems like it's one of those games where it, it points are going to be at a premium. It's it's going to be a field position game. It might come down to frankly who wins the turnover battle because it seems like both these teams are going to be really good at, uh, at rushing the quarterback. And if someone gets a you know a strip sack or forces an interception, um, that that could be the the type of play that swings this game. Yeah, I think this is one of those games, one of those rivalries where no matter how frustrated either fan base is, they kind of get back on the the horse for this game. Because uh, there were several years where Tennessee had practically no chance whatsoever to beat Alabama. 
Everyone knew that going into the game. But Neyland Stadium was still bumping, right? Because you had, you know, campus had a buzz before the game because it's, it's the third Saturday in October. It, it's a it's a game where everybody gets back on the horse because they hate the other team so much that they they kind of put away some of their frustration and they kind of focus on the task at hand, which is trying to push their team to a win that day because it's a big one. And Alabama fans, their frustration, you, you can expect that stuff to go out the window for at least Saturday morning. It's just gonna because they're gonna there's gonna be buzz on campus. They're gonna want blood. Uh, they're gonna want payback for last season. They're gonna wanna. They're all. They've all got cigars in their pockets. You know that. You know they do. Um, and and they're, they're gonna they're gonna see that inside of a pumpkin orange that that one gentleman in particular just he really doesn't like. Yep. Yep. They are. You know, uh, you know, know what I'm referencing, oh, yeah. Wes? Oh yeah. You know what I'm referencing. Yeah. I hate them. No good. I they, hate Tennessee, man. They, they no good. They dirty. <laughs> <laughs> they load out they dirty, they some snitches. Yeah, they uh it's <laughs> inside it's Wes, inside raise, of a pumpkin orange and I don't like pumpkins. Well, you raise a good point. Well, this I mean last year was maybe this way too, but will, will this be the first time in recent memory that nearly every fan in the stadium has a cigar like on the ready because they think they can legitimately win? I mean probably this, this is a, yeah. This the over under on cigars in the stadium's gotta be like ninety thousand, right? Yeah, it's gotta be. And, and I think that there will be some people who will bring extras in their pockets just in case other people, you know, don't have them or, or well, around them who don't have them. It, it certainly seemed like Tennessee fans came prepared last season based on the smell immediately emanating. Very true. Yes, I bet there's yeah. I bet there's a guy who's like, I've had this bad boy in my pocket for like fifteen years. <laughs> I've been ready. I take it every day, every even if it's not Bama Day, this cigar's just in my pocket for fifteen years. I'm at some point I'm gonna light this baby up. And yeah, it, it it's it's one of those things. It's it's a special, special, special game. If you've ever covered this game, if you've ever been around in the stadium before or during a game like this, you see sort of how special this game is it's one of the best rivalries in college football if the sec does away with this as it looks like they might as on an annual basis that will be an absolutely horrendous mistake they cannot do that and i think i think they're leaning toward doing it right now judging by some of saban's comments recently i think that's sort of what they're leaning on and i just gotta say that would be horrendous. Now, for Tennessee as a program, that might not be such a bad thing because you know it takes what's typically one of the league's best teams off your you know annual schedule. But I think you have to look at this. At some point, you got to be sort of wardens, custodians of the game. You have to protect the game, the the sport. Um, things move forward things progress that's that's society uh, the we were eventually barreling toward super conference eras anyway so i get it i understand it if you didn't add texas and oklahoma somebody else was going to and it was going to maybe hurt the brand of the sec i understand all of that but there are some games that by god they just have to be played this is one of them there is not a more important game in historically speaking in Southern football, it has to be played. It has well, to. Well, there, there's no, there's certainly not a more important one that's that's uh, that's potentially going to get axed. You could maybe argue Georgia Auburn's in the same discussion. Yes, but this it, one, it, it's this it's one. every it's every bit as old. Yes. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, has has the has the name of the uh, the South's oldest rivalry or whatever. But it's uh, but Auburn one, was yeah. was irrelevant for a whole long time. Yeah. So it's not. Well, and, like, and Georgia went and through hey, a lot well, of mediocre years too. I mean, Tennessee and Alabama, at least one of them at a time for the most part, has been a title contender for the entirety of the series. Yeah, and and hey, Tennessee-Alabama was in Forrest Gump. That's all you need to know, right? Yeah, but, there you uh, go. 
Um, but it, it, yeah, it, it is, it would be the shame. And obviously we, we've talked about that before, like, you know, last year, that was, that was the cool part of that was seeing Tennessee, Alabama, not just being a, a meaningful game, but to see it be a huge game on, on a level that it really hadn't been in a long, long time, if ever, um, last year's setup for that one was, was, uh, on another level, but this year, this is what this game often has been, right? It's two teams, maybe not in the national title hunt, um, but two teams, at least, nationally ranked pretty good uh, a meaningful game for both teams if either one of those teams game... wins out they're in the playoff it's still oh yeah contenders oh yeah and i'm not saying yeah i'm not saying they're not i'm just saying kind of like ranked 11th and 17th or whatever like that that's what this game often has looked like you know often you'll have one in the top 10 the other in the top 20 but that even at that that's a meaningful game it's a big game uh that's that's just sort of what this this rivalry was for a long long time and yeah often as you said it was a team uh, in the national title hunt uh, on, on one side or the other. So, uh, yeah, it, it would be a shame, but it's it's cool to see this, you know, back-to-back years be a, a big game again on the on a national stage, a big game in the SEC after for so many years it, it just really wasn't. Uh, and, and and obviously not a not a game that, that Tennessee went into hoping or having realistic hopes that it might win. Uh, and, and now, hey, nine-and-a-half point spread or whatever, so it's still a, obviously a game Alabama's favored to win, but it's still one that – Hey, you, you could absolutely see either side uh, coming out victorious Saturday. So it is it is neat to see that, but it is uh, yeah, it, it, it reminds you of the, uh, the the significance of this rivalry and how heated it can be when it is competitive. I'm looking forward to seeing the Alabama end of that uh, on Saturday to see how much more engaged they are after so many years of of certainly not taking it for granted, but certainly uh, starting to to basically count on beating Tennessee every single year. Young Bama fans had started taking it for granted. Not the old ones. The old ones never yeah. did. The old, the old guard say, never the, did. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. The older fans I saw never, I mean, they, they relished that cigar. They, they traveled to Neyland in big numbers every time. It was always one they celebrated. And that's, it's a generational divide thing. Just like, just like with Tennessee fans, it, the Alabama rivalry has always been kind of a bigger deal to the older fans. Younger fans, I think, for at least a while, and, and maybe still do, have kind of felt Florida was the and it, and it might turn into Georgia for for younger people now. For the younger yeah. younger people, it might. But but yeah, for for older Alabama fans, for sure, this is this game never lost its luster. It's one that they never wanted to lose control of, and now that they have seen Tennessee win, they're probably right back to I don't want to see that ever again. <laughs> let's uh, let's take control of the series uh, again. So it should be a fun one Saturday, and I, again, I think the way the teams are playing. Uh, could could make this one even even more fun. It feels like a game that's going to come down to the final possession, uh, just the way it's it's kind of set up. Vegas doesn't um, think uh, that. Vegas doesn't think that, but you know, uh, um, unlike uh, what Henry Toto tried to claim last season, this one's not just business; it's personal. Yeah, there you go. I think that's a pretty good way to end it. I was going to talk about uh, Tennessee giving D. Williams the forty-four jersey. Uh, for this game, and then having a play where uh, someone else catches the ball, and then he hands it to D and says, "Run, D, run," and then he scores a touchdown. That that would be the didn't Forrest Gump was forty four, wasn't he? Uh, that sounds right. I can't remember. Is that his jersey number or your age, Wes? Uh, it's not my age. My age is forty one. Four and then one. I haven't. I'm I'm Alvin Kamara years old. Basically, is what I am. So yeah, forty four. That's what he said. Uh, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I heard too, Ryan. I think I think I think forty four was the right number, but uh, yeah, do y'all think we see the, the the debut of the D Williams uh, package, whatever whatever that is this week? Do you think you know two weeks now is that enough time for them to work that in? Is is it that, finally that quiver is, that that arrow is in the quiver? I don't know if they're going to use it or not. I know it's there. I don't know if they're going to shoot it yet, but I know they've got that arrow in the quiver. They had it last week and didn't use it. They're going to have something again. We'll see if they get a chance to use it. 
passing game stinks, you know, right now, why not try it, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Lots more to discuss throughout the week. Obviously, we will get to all those things, but for now, I think we've put a pretty good bow on AM. I think we've got a pretty good uh, intro to what is a huge week for Tennessee and Alabama. Uh, and I think we've kept it just under uh, an hour. So, guys, I think we're at a good spot. Unless you got anything else. You got anything else? Nope. See you, Wes. Bye, Wes. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock. Got the checkerboard and the summit where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.